Upon This Rock podcast. My name is Max Thomas. Thanks for stopping by. Well, we have officially made it to the end of election season. I don't know if anyone else is as tired as I am, uh, but I'm super tired. And I'm actually, in one sense, kind of glad this is going to be our last episode in uh, the little series that we're doing here called Crucifying Elephants and Donkeys, where we've been having some political conversations and trying to trying to reframe the conversation around politics away from the partisanship of uh, Republican and Democrat and say, how do we begin to think about some of this stuff Christianly? And how do we begin to uh, do some deeper thinking uh, that I think is necessary in times like this, especially here in in the United States? And uh, hopefully this has been um, beneficial for you as you Uh, come up to cast your vote on Tuesday, or maybe you already have. Uh, But there's one topic left that I thought would be worth talking about, and I've gotten a few emails about it. Uh, No no voice messages, and so that's why you won't hear any included in the episode here, but a couple of emails and and texts from people that I know. And that is the issue of uh, that my wife and I talked about on the last episode about being pro-life. We use the example of abortion uh, kind of to kind of have the our previous conversation about what kind of uh, moral culpability do we have in in voting, and so that uh, episode got me a few messages from people, and so I thought I would um, discuss that here now, and it was one that I had already had on my on my mind to do, um, and so disclaimer up front again, this is going to be our last episode in in the the politics series here, Crucifying Elephants and Donkeys. Next, um, just to get this out now, uh, next series I'm I'm honestly really, really excited for. I want to talk about reading scripture, and I want to have some conversations about the ways in which we read scripture, and I think some important things that need to be said and talked about so that we can read scripture better. And uh, I, I think if I have two passions when it comes to teaching or preaching or just talking to people about their faith, it would be how to pray and how to read scripture. And um, and we'll, we'll eventually do a series on prayer. I'll do a series on prayer as well. But I want to do a series on reading scripture next. I'm, I'm honestly super pumped for it. Um, it's one of my favorite things, like I said, to talk about. But first, uh, being, being pro-life. Okay, disclaimer, like I said. Uh, I believe in... Uh, to some element about staying in your lane. And what, what do I mean by that? What I may mean by that is uh, I'm not a politician. I'm not a political scientist. I'm not, I don't know all the ins and outs of the political world. Uh, what I am is a, a pastor and a missionary and somebody who has formal theological training uh, and who, at least to the best of my ability, try and take those things seriously and think through those things seriously. And so the lens in which I want to talk about some of this today and a number of issues here today that I think are related to being pro-life, I want to do my best to talk about through the lens that I know and in the lane that I know, and that is a scriptural one, a theological one. And um, and so if we don't get into the the nitty-gritty of policy and whatnot and the, you know this way of doing it and that way of doing it that's just I don't know enough about that and I I believe that if you don't you know if you haven't done the work of 
studying and, and learning that kind of stuff is just better usually to not say anything. And so um, pro-life. So like I have you, if you've listened to previous episodes, like I've said before, I've grown up in the charismatic evangelical church my entire life. It's the, the church that I'm still a part of, still claim as my own, still love, warts and all. Uh, it's done me tremendous amounts of good. It's shaped me really to who I am. And uh, all of my real close relationships um, in the faith are in the charismatic evangelical Protestant world. And so um, I I read and, and study and listen to people outside of that for sure. But my relationship and the soil, I guess, in which you could say I grew up in is, is definitely that. And there may not be a bigger issue, politically speaking, in my world uh, than being pro-life. Over the course of my lifetime, I'm 32. In the course of my lifetime, I, I, if there was one, I was not aware of it. This is the issue, I think, for most evangelical Christians in America. You can't talk about politics without talking about being pro-life. And what do we mean by that? Obviously, most people, when they hear the term pro-life, the thing that comes up in their mind immediately is abortion. And we have pro-choice and pro-life, and those are the, the two sides of the, of the debate. And in, in my circles, um, and just to give you even like a little bit more context, so I've, I've been to pro-life prayer meetings. I've stood outside of the Supreme Court of the United States with life tape over my mouth, if you know what that is. Uh, it's a kind of a silent prayer movement that started uh, out of the charismatic church. And I've done that and standing in silent prayer protest. I've uh, been a part of 40 Days for Life where we're standing outside of Planned Parenthoods and abortion clinics and not protesting, not even really saying anything, but just to pray. And so this is, I mean, I've been very entrenched in this world. And again, politically, I don't think there's been a more important issue. The thing that has really kind of come to bother me though about that issue or not really about that issue about that term of being pro-life is it's it's been like many things if you've picked up on a theme so far in the first 10 11 episodes of my podcast whatever right now is this issue of being reduced this this issue of being too reductionistic this issue of stripping things down to the lowest common denominator. And the term pro-life, I think, falls into that same category that we we think about and we hear the term pro-life and we think about one thing, and that is abortion. Now, hear me up front. I am uh, completely politically and morally and ethically against abortion. I, I think it's wrong. I think it's morally wrong, ethically wrong, on a whole bunch of different levels. Um I think it's politically, it's something that, you know, obviously I would love for the overturning of Roe v. Wade and um, the Casey case. I can't remember the other name in that case from a number of, a few years ago. So let's just get that aside. So I'm, I'm by no means making an argument here that we should be pro-choice and not care. What I'm saying is, is that the term pro-life and the idea of being pro-life from a Christian perspective, when we want to, to I think, first start with 
who is God, what is he like, as revealed in his Son, the living word, and in the, the written word in which he has given us by the Spirit. The term or the idea of being pro-life is far greater and far bigger and far more reaching than the issue of abortion. The issue of abortion is surely a a cog in that, and you could maybe argue a a massive one for sure. And we can make that argument scripturally. So one of the the story the, or the, the the scriptural story that you'll often hear associated with abortion is uh, this ancient god in the Old Testament, um, Canaanite god named Molech, in which. Uh, it was this big kind of stone statue with its hands out in front of it, and the um, kind of the bottom of the statue was actually open, and they would make a fire there that would get very, very hot, and they would place their children in the arms of the statue, and the children would literally burn alive in, in the hands of this statue, and they would sacrifice their their children. And that and, and I think there is some analogy there for sure. I mean, it, 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 there's, it's, a, I think, a little different um, just because they were doing that as an overtly religious act. And I don't think abortion in the United States is an overtly religious act. I think there can be some religious connotations to it uh, and, and underpinnings to it or undertoes to it, but it's, it's not quite the same thing. But I think it, it is a fair um, analogy to make. But if we want to talk about the issue of being pro-life from, again, from a, a scriptural perspective or a Christian perspective, we have to broaden that term and we have to broaden it, I think, by quite a bit. And here's been the thing that has come to bother me about that term. I'll finally get to that point, is we have reduced it so much and we have actually, we have pol- a political system now in which these Two different parties both claim parts of the issue, I think, of being pro-life, but neither of them encompass all of the issue of being pro-life. And this is the difficult situation, I think, I hope that Christians actually feel. And if you, if you don't feel this, I would say, have you thought through what it actually means to be pro-life? So let, let's talk about example. Okay, to be pro-life is to say that lives matter, that all lives matter, that there is no life that is more valuable than the other, period, full stop, end of sentence, that every life is made in the image of God, that God is their father, God is their creator, he loves them, he cares for them, he brought them forth, he's the one who uh, holds all their days in his hand that this is who every that every life that is or ever will be or ever has been falls into that category and therefore it is a a moral wrong from a christian perspective to value one life over another so lives matter period all lives period and what we cannot do is value one life over another for political reasons or for political gain and that includes, we cannot say, and this may make some uncomfortable, but I think, it's, I think it's the truth. We cannot say that unborn lives are more important than other lives simply because they are unborn or because that gets us more political sway or power or whatever. And, and I don't think 
hard. I don't think many people, I don't think the vast, vast, vast majority of people make that claim, at least consciously. I think the way that we talk about being pro-life, though, as only this single topic, it comes off that way. And here, here's what I mean. So if we're going to say, we'll, we'll take the Republican Party for an example because they are the ones who claim pro-life. They're overwhelmingly, right? The, I mean, if you were just to take a poll, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but the vast majority of Republicans would wear the label pro-life. The vast majority of Democrats would label would, would take the label pro-choice. Not all of them, okay? I have people, know people who are voting Democrat who would say that they're pro-life um, and they're voting Democrat for other reasons, okay? And that's a whole nother whole nother issue. But generally, that's that's how it goes. But we can't claim to be pro-life in terms of above in terms of abortion and ignore black lives or immigrant lives or refugee lives or fill in the marginalized group. That's the move that we can't make. We can't say, so we want to talk policy here. We can't say we are pro-life in terms of abortion and turn a blind eye towards our Central American brothers and sisters who are trying to get across the border because they're trying to escape lives of abject poverty and violence, and they're trying to make a better life for themselves. And we close our border and throw them in detention centers in cages and take children away from their mothers because they're not coming over, quote-unquote, legally. As if the system is set up perfectly just and it's that simple. That's, I mean, that's what people who make that argument that, well, all you have to do is come across legally. That assumes that our system is just and that people who want to come across legally can, which is not true. They, many of them can't. Most of them can't. That's why they're trying to come across illegally for the vast majority of them. They, they don't have another choice. There is no other way. But we, we can't, what I'm saying here is, if we're going to la- wear the label as Christians, the political label of being pro-life, we have to hold both of those things. We have to say we care deeply about the unborn life, and it is wrong to take an unborn life. But we also care deeply about the lives of our brothers and sisters from Guatemala and Nicaragua and Honduras and Mexico Venezuela, who are trying to get up to the United States because their countries are having all these problems and violence and abject poverty, and they're trying to get up here to start over or because they have family here. And we want to turn a blind eye to them or just keep them out because they may be, quote-unquote, too dangerous or they may bring problems. No, no, no. We don't get to do that. Now, we can have all of the policy discussion that we want around what's the best way to do that. And that's where I, why I started the beginning of this episode talking about stay in your lane. I don't know all of the policy ins and outs to, that are possible. I just don't know that, that system. You probably don't know either. So, that, so we can't have that discussion really here, at least I don't think an informed one. The one that I think we can have is to say, all of those lives matter equally to God. And therefore, 
if we have to work for one as hard as we work for the other. We have to cry as much for one as we cry for the other. If we can shed tears for the unborn and cannot shed tears for the immigrant, then something is off. If we can pray and fast for the unborn and the the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but we cannot pray and fast for a just immigrant system or borders to allow immigrants who are fleeing persecution to come in, then there is something off. There is something amiss. Same thing with black lives. We won't get into the organization Black Lives Matter versus the the idea of Black Lives Matter. It's just too big of a topic to get into here. But the point here is we, whatever you think of the organization, 2020 is going to be known for two things, the pandemic and our black brothers and sisters lifting up their voice and saying, we matter and it doesn't seem like you think that our lives matter. Again, however you want to parse that out politically is a whole nother discussion. As Christians, our response should be, your life does matter. I want to turn my eye and my heart and lean into the pain that you are saying that you, you are feeling. I want to hear it. I want to see it. I want to, I want to know it so I can link my arms with you and work for a society and a culture and a country that values your life just as it values all the other ones. And if that's through Black Lives Matter, then we can make that argument. If you think that has to come a different way than Black Lives Matter, then we can have that argument too. But what we can't do, what we can't do is weep and cry for the unborn and then harden our hearts towards Black Lives and Black Lives Matter and say that they're just, you know, being angry and violent and trying to take advantage of the situation. Okay, what about Muslim lives overseas that we've killed with our drone strikes? One of the one of the hardest moments I've ever had in my faith is I was in college, in my college apartment. I think I was a junior in college, a junior, senior, I think my junior year when Osama bin Laden was killed. And I remember watching everyone gathering outside of the White House and in the streets and cheering that this man had been killed. And I remember in that moment, the Spirit saying to me, did his life not matter? I can't remember the exact words that that I heard, but that was what I heard is, God doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked. And so even if we want to say that Osama bin Laden was wicked, which I think he was by every reasonable definition, as Christians, we cannot rejoice and should not rejoice in the death of the wicked because God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. Because even the wicked are born of God. Even the wicked are made by God. Even the wicked are bear his image. And therefore, he does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. And therefore, it is incompatible to have the label pro-life and over the, ter- over the, the, the issue of abortion and pray and fast and cry and weep and work all of our political vigor up 
for abortion and then stand out in the streets and rejoice when someone like even someone even like Osama bin Laden when they're killed. We can't do that because they are incompatible with that's an incompatible stance with being pro-life because we believe that all lives matter. What about the thousands that are lost every year due to gun violence in America? Can we truly be pro-life and cling to our guns? I mean, can we truly say that we trust in God while we cling to our Glocks? Can we be pro-life and hold the Second Amendment as the dearest thing that this country has ever given us? I mean, these are complex issues. These are hard issues. But when we see gun violence running rampant in our country, on the streets, in gangs, in mass shootings, in schools, in concerts, in all of these places, in our military, in our police, and the solution every time is just, let's just get more guns. I mean, I remember the, the shooting that happened in Florida just, was it two years ago now? Something like that. And the, the national debate after that shooting was, should we give teachers guns? Should, should there be armored guards or armed guards at, at every school? And so the answer, with the, the answer to the question of guns was just more guns. Is that a, I don't think that's a pro, I'm not going to say it as a question. I'll make it as a statement. I don't think that's a pro-life stance because guns take away life. And if we want to look at the example of Jesus, and if we want to take the sermon, I mean, this is the radicalness of the Sermon on the Mount, which I think we've reduced to a nice Sunday school story, but the radicalness of the Sermon on the Mount is the ethics of Jesus to be lived out in a community is that when someone harms you and persecutes you and takes from you and slaps you on one cheek, you give him the other. When someone when you have two cloaks and someone has none, you give that that's you give him your your extra. That's being pro-life. Being pro-life is not just about abortion. It's about what you have, you give to those who do not have for the sake of their life. We could also look at the Exodus story. I mean, this is the foundational story in the Old Testament scriptures. It's the grand narrative. It's the, it's the control. You could make an argument that it's the controlling narrative in all of the scripture, that the God even revealed in Jesus is the God of the Exodus, that that's the big story. I mean, there's, there's no more allusions anywhere in scripture than back to, to the story of Exodus. It's all over the place, both Old and, and New Testament. And what does that tell us about God? that he's the God that's always delivering the poor and the oppressed and those whose lives are suffering under violence or suffering under the threat of death, who are suffering under the threat of oppression or the reality of oppression. I mean, Hebrews even makes this claim that what Christ did was he delivered us from the fear of death and even one day from death itself when we will be raised up. 
And to, to be pro-life is to be working against everything that either holds people in fear of death or actually will take their life and their dignity from them. And that's for all people. And now this is, again, where it gets really tricky, tricky politically because I think each of our two parties, they major on different issues better than the other. They, they uphold different ones better than the other. Right? I, I think largely the Democratic Party does a much better job of being pro-life in terms of something like the death penalty or gun control than the Republican Party does. You know, the Republican Party, again, generally speaking, wants easier access to guns, hold the Second Amendment tighter. Trump, I think, has executed, I think now, five, six, seven people, uh, federal executions. This is the first time in, I think it was like 20 years, that somebody's been put to death federally under Trump. That's, that is not being pro-life. And so I think in, in those categories, the Democratic Party generally does better than the Republican Party. Obviously, we've talked about abortion. I think the Republican Party does much better on abortion. So then what are we to do? What are we to do? I think the answer there is largely contextual. I think it's largely what are the questions being asked in our day? My wife and I talked about this a little bit in our last episode. I mean, I think right now, if you haven't really thought through the issue of race in our country through this summer, read some books, talked to some people, listened to some things, and tried to understand the story, read up on some history. I mean, I was shocked when I've... I read, I don't know, five, six, seven books or something like that by black authors this summer. And some of the stories that I heard and read and pictures. And I mean, it's just crazy. It's just absolutely crazy, the things that they have endured. And when I put the the riots and the protests and even the looting and violence in that historical context, it doesn't maybe justify everything, but it does put all of those things into a context where you go, okay, well, maybe there's more going on here than I thought, and maybe, maybe we haven't valued their lives like we claim that we have. Just because I have a black friend or because I, you know, support orphans over in Africa or whatever. So I think we need to widen the conversation of what it means to be pro-life. And I think we need to work for those things, not just in our, with our ballots, but also with our lives. And I'll end with this. One of the traps that I think we fall into is that we tend to call certain things big deals and other things little deals. And I think the way that we make those judgment calls is usually opposite of how the Bible makes those judgment calls. So I'll give an example. 
maybe the most famous story of judgment in all of the Old Testament is Sodom and Gomorrah. If it's it's on the Mount Rushmore, if it's if you think there's a, a bigger one of maybe Egypt, the ten plagues, maybe Babylon, but it's on the Mount Rushmore, right? Everybody knows Sodom and Gomorrah. And what typically comes to mind when people talk about Sodom and Gomorrah is this issue of this part of the story that's very strange, that isn't as straightforward as maybe most people think it is, of seemingly homosexual activity. It doesn't use those words, but okay, let's just say that that is what it is. I mean, we would have the word, right, sodomize, right, coming from the city of Sodom. And that story gets referenced a whole bunch of times in the Old Testament. There's not a single time, though, in the Old Testament when other prophets and writers are referencing that story. None of them reference the issue of homosexuality from that story. None of them do. Right? We read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and we say that's the big issue. And that's why God judged them. And you hear, you've heard this preached thousands of times, right? Even when Oberfeld, the Oberfeld case of legalizing same-sex marriage in this country was happening a number of years ago, 2013 or whatever it was, you would hear people say, we're going to come under the judgment of God if we do this. Now, aside what you think from same-sex marriage, that's not my point here. My point is to say, we, we have made a very big deal out of that. But when the Old Testament prophets reference the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and they say, Israel, you're being like Sodom and therefore you're going to come under the judgment of God, they never reference that issue. They always reference Sodom's lack of care for the poor and Israel's lack of care for the poor and their system of injustice. And that's why they're going to come under the judgment of God. And so put it this way, we have made same-sex marriage and homosexuality this big issue and care for the poor, kind of just a normal, just is what it is, it'll always be their issue. And what I think the Old Testament scriptures show us is that it may be the opposite from a social standpoint. Again, I, I would hold to traditional marriage, okay? So just to make that clear. But what I'm saying is is that I think we've inverted what the Bible actually says. This Caring for your brother who's in need for the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, those that are under the fear of death or the reality of death, this is what God continually comes against his people to say, you are failing in this regard, and therefore you will come under my judgment. This is the big issue to me. This is the thing to me. And and what I wonder here, what I wonder here, is that if we have missed some of that in our conversation about being pro-life, again, abortion is a huge issue. I think being pro-life in the sense of abortion is a big deal. But I wonder if we have missed other really big deals like Black Lives Matter, like 
immigrants, like refugees, like drone strikes in Muslim countries where families are blown up. And we have written those off as small deals when actually I think we have more scriptural witness that those are the big deals than anything else. Again, I'm not trying to diminish one. I'm just saying I think we've missed these ones. So a few days here before the election, I'm, I'm recording this on Friday. You might be listening to this over the weekend or you know, Monday or even Tuesday day of the election. Hopefully this gives you a little bit more food for thought even as you go into the voting booth. And as you think about voting, I hope you're thinking about seriously and praying about who you're voting for, not just for president, but all the way down. And we want to be people of pro-life. We want to care for all lives. We want to say that all lives matter. And we want to do that with our ballot. And we, but we want to do that with the way that we live as well. And, and actually the way that we live is probably going to be more meaningful, more impactful than even what we do with, with the ballot. So thank you guys for tuning in this time. Uh, next episode that will be coming, we'll be talking about reading scripture I'm super excited. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you hit the subscribe button. If you haven't shared this with a friend or or rated on iTunes so other people can find it, that would be super helpful and appreciative. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for talking. Ready?